Well, one of the uh, marks of a growing believer is to uh, believe that our Savior is still wonderful even when the circumstances uh, don't seem like it or don't feel like it. <laughs> and uh, there's a number of things that are different this morning here in my experience. Um, you're seeing a few of them. I'm standing in a different place. I'm using a different mic. Um, I'm going to be preaching to a different group of people primarily this morning. Uh, but another thing that is different is that I don't have the notes that I would feel comfortable having. <laughs> okay, so there's a number of things that are different this morning. Uh, you know, I don't know how and why God works the way he does sometimes, but I decided to do something different this morning. Uh, I decided to preach a message to the children. I've, I've never done that. But then on the same morning that I decided to do that, um, the Lord also saw fit that my computer and printer would severely lock up. And so as I made my last edits this morning, uh, that was all we got. Um, and I was never able to print out the message that I felt God intended for me to share. However, I truly believe that God is bigger than a few pieces of paper. So, so we're going we're gonna to move forward and trust the Lord to, uh, to be wonderful in spite of unfavorable circumstances. Amen. So I'm, I'm trying to grow in that area as well. But what I would like to do, I would like to invite uh, the children up here. Now, I will mention that, that this is a children's sermon. So um, those of you parents who have maybe younger children that would normally sit in a 10-minute children's class, you might not want them to come up because they're going to be up here for probably uh, 20 to 30 minutes. But, but those of you children who can handle that and sit well and listen and bring your Bible, go ahead and come up. Um, maybe the two of you could even just move right over here to this side as well. So regardless of how it comes out, uh, the truth is going to be proclaimed this morning, okay? Uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, we can have confidence in that, okay? So, you know, church, church takes on different forms from time to time, but it's, it's the people that truly make up the church and not, not all the formalities, at least from time to time. So maybe this is good for us to feel a little different sometimes, okay? We did feel different uh, in the past year, especially with COVID, didn't we? Church felt different. Um, but, you know, I, I think at least some of us have learned that it's okay for church to feel different. We can still have church. We can still worship God, uh, although maybe in unique ways, but we can still honor God and worship Him um, regardless of if it feels normal or not, okay? Now, Today is Palm Sunday. Did you know that? Palm Sunday. If, if you look on your calendar, you'll see that. Uh, today is March 28, and it says Palm Sunday. And so with it being Palm Sunday, I would like for us to think about one of the few events in Jesus' life that is recorded in all four Gospels. Okay, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this event. It's what we refer to as the triumphal entry. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem in an unusual kind of way. And I think it's significant that it's in our, all four Gospels. It's as if each of the, each of, you know, the Gospel writers felt like they couldn't complete their story without this. Like this was very significant to their rendition of Jesus' life and ministry. And so the triumphal entry in many ways was sort of the beginning of the end of Jesus' ministry, his life here on earth. And what a week it was. Because in just five short days, you know we say time flies. I don't know if that week felt quick or slow to Jesus, but... Time flies, it really does. And in five short days, Jesus went from being hailed as a hero to crucified as a criminal on a cross. Isn't that amazing? Just five days. What a change. What a change. Now, there is something very special about the triumphal entry. Something very special about this event. You know what it is? It's children. Now, you can, you can correct me later if I'm wrong on this, but as I looked at, at these, these accounts, as you go through the, the Gospels and you read the events uh, that surround Jesus' life and ministry, think about them, the big ones that we celebrate. Okay, so his birth, the birth of Jesus... Uh, you move on to uh, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. You move on to, well, Good Friday, crucifixion, Easter. Move on to Ascension Day. That's when he ascended back to heaven. And there might be some others, but those are the ones that stick out in my mind, the ones that are on our calendar that we observe in, in various ways. Of all of those, the only one in which children are a part of the story, at least recorded in Scripture, is the triumphal entry. Because in Matthew's Gospel, we read that after, after Jesus rode through Jerusalem, then what happened next is that he went into the temple and he observed what was kind of like a, a flea market in full operation in the temple. Like where people worship. They were, they were, it was like a store. They were selling doves and sheep and, and goats and things like that. They were, they were selling animals and, and so forth for the sacrifices. And so Jesus was very upset. He said, it has been written that my house is a house of prayer, but ye have turned it into a den of thieves. He was not happy, and he did some radical things that day at church. <laughs> church was different that day, too, I tell you. I mean, he threw, he, he knocked over the tables, and people's money went everywhere. I mean, and the one scripture says he had a, like a whip, and he was like, choo, 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 you know. I mean, he was not happy. Get out of here. And I mean, 
who knows if they ever found all their money and whose money was whose and everything. It was a disaster. But he made a point of what God intended for his place of worship to be. And we can take some lessons from that as well. Okay, we won't get into that. But, okay, so then going on with the story here, Matthew says that, that some needy ones came into the temple and Jesus healed them right at the same time after he had cleaned house. Uh, and, and he healed them. And it also says that there was little children in the temple crying, Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna to the son of David! Well, where did they get that? Well, from the parade that happened just prior, okay? So it's obvious that these children were a part of the triumphal entry because they were bringing those same praises then into walking after Jesus. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, um, <laughs> he loved little children. Jesus was never annoyed at children. And I, I need to remember that. Um, now the Pharisees were, the chief priests and the scribes said, Jesus, what is going on here? And, and Jesus said, haven't you ever read in the scripture where it says that out of the mouth of little children and infants you have perfected praise? Now, they were the ones that were supposed to know the scriptures. And he said, have you never read that? Anyway, Jesus was not annoyed. Different times the disciples were like, get the children away. She said, no, let them come to me. Don't forbid them. Anyway, Jesus was not annoyed with children. Even when he was going about his other things, he took time for children. And that's a, that's a blessing. What a challenge it is for all of us. Even us uh, busy dads and moms when we feel like we have other work to do. But, yeah, lesson for us all. Okay, so this day and this event has a lot to do with children because children are recorded in this story, okay? Now, we said Palm Sunday. Do you know why it's called Palm Sunday? We don't get that word in Scripture, Palm Sunday, but we refer to the triumphal entry as Palm Sunday. Why? Children, why is it called Palm Sunday? Yes. They were waving palm branches. Exactly. Okay. So, my understanding is that in those days when, say, like a warrior came back from victory or a, a, a new king was beginning to reign, they would have a parade down through town, okay? And they would welcome them, okay? It would be a big celebration. And a part of that celebration, so they'd line the streets, and this warrior that was victorious or this new king that was beginning to reign in his new kingdom they would go down the procession, the parade down through the streets, and the people on either side would be yelling and cheering, and they would be waving uh, branches and palm branches, which were a part of that culture, a part of that geography, you could say, okay? Waving palm branches. They would also throw flowers out into the street, bouquets of flowers. They would even throw, like, their coats <laughs> into the street, and, like, they would the animals and people would walk over them. It was just part of how they did it, to, to show their joy and triumphant feelings. And along with that, the palm, the palm tree, was a, was a symbol of 
of joy, a symbol of, um, I can't remember exactly, and I remember the donkey was a symbol of peace, but the palm branches, I believe, was a symbol of joy and feelings like that. And so, yes, it says here in John uh, 11, actually 12, it says that uh, John 12, verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, Palm Sunday. That's what we refer to it as because of the palm branches that were waved in the air and were thrown in the street. Now, you understand palm branches are flat. There's a little bush back here at the back door of the school that looks sort of like palm branches. I'm not sure what it's called, but I noticed that this morning when I drove in. It's a flat, so it's not like an oak tree branch where like the horses were stomping. You know, no, it wasn't that kind of a branch. That wouldn't work, but it was a flat like a mat of a branch. Yeah. Okay, now for our text, though, I want to turn to the account as we have it in Luke. Turn to Luke chapter uh, 19. Luke chapter 19. And I'd like to read the account uh, as we find it here in verses 28 through 40. Verses 28 through 40. You found it, children? Okay. When Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus shall you say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent their way, so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke thy disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. <laughs> okay, we'll stop there. Now, there's a certain phrase that I want us to focus on this morning. And that phrase is in this little passage twice. This phrase is also in Matthew's account. It's in Mark's account. 
and here it's in Lucas. <laughs> Lucas. Luke. <laughs> Twice. We don't find it in John, but the identical four, three or four words are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And these are the words, in the King James at least, the Lord hath need. Now I'm using that for my title. We'll put it this way, the Lord has need. That's a little bit more common modern language. That's the title this morning. The Lord has need. What a strange thought. The Lord has need. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, does God really need anything? Does your God, a big, we talk about God being a strong, mighty God who created everything. He's all powerful. And here the scripture says that the Lord has need. Interesting. Because we say that God is omniscient. What does that mean? That means he's all-knowing. That means that he knows everything there is to know. We say that God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He can do anything he wants to do. We say that God is omnipresent. What does that mean? That means, yeah. He's everywhere at one time. <laughs> so he can, be, he can be healing people in, in South Boston and healing people in China at the same time. He's everywhere at the same time. We say that God is, is self-sufficient. That means that he doesn't need anything from anybody to exist, okay? He doesn't, he's not counting on you and me in order for him to exist and to be God. He can do it all by himself. He is God. All by himself. He doesn't need my help, really, to be God. <laughs> but here in the scripture it says that the Lord has need. The Lord has need. Now, I want, I want us just to see once again how great God is. In, in Psalm 24, we read, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone who lives in it. They're all God's. Now, turn to Psalm 50. This is, this is neat. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> Psalm 50, verse 10. This is what God says. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Listen here what he says, verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. In other words, because what could you do about it? 
If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and everything in it. <laughs> That's our God. Now, turn to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. And here is the Apostle Paul preaching on Mars Hill. And he finds this, this idol, this statue, and there's an inscription on this statue that says, To the unknown God. These people had all their idols that they worshipped. And they didn't want to make any gods mad if they failed to worship them. So they even had one that was to the unknown God just to be safe. Make sure they covered them all in case they forgot one or something. Okay, so this was to the unknown God. And the Apostle Paul, as he was so apt to do, he, he, he jumped right on that. He said, bingo, here's an opportunity to share the gospel. Let me tell you about the God that you don't know. So in Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 24, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. That's a great God, isn't it? A God that doesn't need anything. He is in control. Nothing happens by chance. I'm trying to remember that this morning. Okay, he has a plan for everything. And yet, back in our text this morning, and also in Matthew and Mark, we read that the Lord has need. You see, this is one of the paradoxes of Scripture. Now, I, I see, I'll go, what's a paradox? Is that a pair of ox? <laughs> no. Okay, a, para, a paradox is something that is not according to common sense, but yet it's true. It doesn't make any sense. But yet it's true. Sometimes you think obeying your parents is a paradox. <laughs> That's different. Okay. But like, so a paradox. For example, the Apostle Paul said, speaking of Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Okay, that's not according to common sense. It doesn't make sense that God, the great almighty God, should come down and be born into a package like me, like you. That seems like quite a demotion, doesn't it? 
And you know, what, what, the, what the Apostle Paul is really saying there is that, that Jesus was willing to become like us so that we could become more like him. Jesus was willing to become like us so that he could show us the way to salvation, so that he could show us the way to experience peace with God and joy in our hearts. Once again, it doesn't make sense to us, and yet it's true. Okay, let me read something here that someone else wrote in relation to this paradox. He owned all things, yet he possessed nothing. He created the stars, yet he had nowhere to lay his own head. He fashioned everything there is out of nothing, yet he had to borrow a boat from which to preach the gospel. He created every drop of water that exists in the world, yet he cried, I thirst. I'm thirsty. That's what, that was in our lesson this morning for adults. He created every tree, but he died on a borrowed cross. He created every rock, but he had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. Yes, this is the paradox of his life. The Lord has need. Let's note three things that Jesus needed in this story that we're looking at this morning. First of all, he needed disciples. Secondly, he needed a donkey. And thirdly, he needed devotion. Okay? We note in our story, and you can turn back to, to Luke 19 if you're not there, because we'll be just noticing this, these three things here. But it says in each account that Jesus needed two disciples. He told these two disciples to go and find a colt. There was going to be a little donkey at this certain place. And he said, I just want you to go get it. I want you to untie it. Now, it wasn't theirs. But he said, I want you to go get it. Untie it and bring it to me. And if they asked you when you're, I mean, of course. If, we, if someone just drove up into your farmyard one day and just took your goat off the leash and said, thank you, and, and left. You'd say, hey, well, what are you doing with that? And they would say, well, the Lord needs it. You'd be like, what in the world? But Jesus told them that this was going to happen. If anyone asked you, what, what are you doing with that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. And they'll let you have it. Now, the one gospel, it mentions in this way, sort of this wording. The Lord needs it, and, and, we'll, return, and we'll return it shortly. <laughs> That's nice. We should be that way, too, when we borrow something. Return it shortly. In good shape. Okay. But Jesus said that's, that's going to be the case. And so that's what happened. They went and they found this colt just where Jesus said. They started untying it, and the owner said, hey, what you doing? He said, the Lord needs this. Okay. And they took it. So the Lord, the Lord needed disciples that day to go and, and do some work for him. Okay? 
The Lord needed that. And, and in Matthew's account, we read that when, when Jesus told the disciples to go do that job, they immediately went and did it, just like he said. They just went and got her done. And that's a good challenge for us all, isn't it? That when we're asked to do something by, by our parents, when God asks us to do something, and God's command comes to us as children in different ways, but when God asks us to do something, we say, yes, Lord, and we just go do it. Okay? That's, that's a good challenge for us all. So he needed two disciples. He also needed a donkey. Now, he needed a donkey to humbly ride through the streets of Jerusalem that day. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because, once again, in Matthew's account, we read that there was also the mama donkey there, too. When, when they went and got the colt, they didn't leave the mama alone, but they brought the big one and the little one together. Isn't that, isn't that nice, kind of heartwarming, that they didn't have to be separated? It's nice. To me, it just kind of speaks of the heart of Jesus. He doesn't like separation. He doesn't like things that grieve our hearts. But they could come together and so there they came, and once again, we have Jesus. He wasn't riding through Jerusalem that day on a big horse, which was a sign of, uh, you know, like the military presence, you know, the big white horse or something. They'd ride through, down through town, being like, we're conquerors, we got her done, you know. That's what we're all about. That wasn't, no, it wasn't a military presence, but he rode through Jerusalem that day on a donkey, which was a symbol of peace. Isn't that neat that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, rode through town that day on a donkey, the symbol of peace? Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? He came as a humble king. He came as a humble king. And so you can, you can picture this event, it was a rather humble look to it all. Although there was a lot of festivity, although there was a, quite a celebration, we have Jesus riding on this yearling donkey, a little donkey. You know, and, and he's probably kind of spread out on it like this. And his feet are kind of dragging on either side because it's not a big, tall thing. So it, it's an odd-looking picture for sure. And, and then the mama donkey is walking along behind. It looked probably silly. It was a very humble and yet very fitting scene for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to come through that day. Now, once again, you understand that this little donkey had never been broken. What does that mean? You got some horse people here. This donkey had never been broken. Yeah, no one had ever rode on this donkey. And so, how are horses before they're rode on? Or when you go to get on a horse for the first time and it's never been broken, is everything just like a stroll through the park? 
It's like a rodeo, isn't it? Okay, so do you think, do you think as you picture the triumphal entry, was it a rodeo in session? Do you think? No. Why? Well, because Jesus was the great creator. He created that little donkey. He knew exactly how to control it. Don't you think that if Jesus knew how to uh, control the winds and the waves, and if Jesus knew how to turn water into wine, and if Jesus knew how to feed, miraculously feed thousands of people with a few little pieces of meat and bread, don't you think he could probably keep a donkey under control? Sure he could. And so there they went. Okay, but Jesus also rode on a donkey that day in order to fulfill prophecy. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read where we find this, and this is in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. You see, hundreds of years before this happening, look at this. I'm going to preach a full message if I don't watch out. Hundreds of years before this, this had been prophesied that it was exactly going to happen this way. Isn't that amazing? And now here it was happening, just like Jesus said. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. And so here, on this Palm Sunday, as Jesus was going through the streets of Jerusalem, he was fulfilling scripture by riding on a donkey. Okay, so he needed disciples, he needed a donkey, and he needed devotion. He needed devotion. Now, if you go back to Luke 19 again, you will see once again this devotion that he had from all the people. And we, we noted earlier that he had this devotion from the children as well. But, but here, as he was coming down the mountain, it says... The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise the Lord. Okay. And then we see the Pharisees got upset again. And what did Jesus say? He said, I'll tell you what, if these would stop praising me, the very stones would cry out. Do you know what you call singing stones? Rock music. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> but, but Jesus said that if Jesus said that if you stop praising me, if the people stop praising me, that creation will praise me. In other words, I will be praised. I mean, I will be. That's, that's amazing. That really is amazing. But turn back to the account in Mark, and let's just note the, uh, the praise and devotion he got there. And this is in Mark 11. I think it's verses 8 through 10. Yeah, 
Mark 11, verses 8 through 10, we read this. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed after. So that's a, that's a little detail that we hadn't heard before. There were some in front and some behind. They cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, Jesus certainly got lots of devotion that day, didn't he? People really loved him and people were really praising him. Now, I just want to quickly now make these three points practical to us today. So Jesus needed disciples. He needed a donkey, and he needed devotion, at least in our story years ago. But the truth is, he needs the same today. He needs the same today. Jesus needs you. You see, disciples are those who, are those who, they are like the hands and feet of Jesus, those are the ones who assist Jesus in his work here on earth. They are one with Jesus. They love Jesus. And they are doing Jesus' work here on earth. And Jesus needs each one of you to do his work here on earth. We are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Active in our Christian life. Doing God's work. I wonder, how is it for us? Are we doing it immediately, just like Jesus said, when he gives us work to do? We should think about that, shouldn't we? Mm -hmm. But I want you to know, children, that, that God does have a special need for you in the kingdom. We could think about the little captive girl that served Naaman back in the Bible. There's a number of instances in Scripture where children were needed. God needed children to serve Him. The little captive girl that was away from her daddy and mommy. And God used her to point Naaman to the healing power of God. Isn't that wonderful? God needed that little girl to show Naaman who God was and how he could be healed. Think of little David. That's a common story. Little David. And, and Saul and Goliath both referred to him as a boy. As a boy. But God needed little David to rescue his people from the Philistines. And I find it interesting, after, after that happened, after Goliath was dead, Saul had another talk with David, and there he refers to him as a young man. <laughs> you see the perspective difference? Before, you're just a boy. Afterwards, hey, you're a young man. <laughs> interesting. But scripture is fun. You dig into it like that. But, and then there's another little illustration from Scripture where you remember the little boy, the lad, who shared his lunch. He, he had five little biscuits and two pieces of fish. And Jesus needed that in order to feed over 5,000 people. Jesus needed that. And Jesus needs you too. 
Jesus needs you. Don't ever think that, that because you're a child, you're not needed. That you have no value. That because you're, you know, because you're not a big person, you can't be useful in the church or useful in the home or useful in this. No, God needs you. And He has special things for you to do that we adults can't do. So, so enjoy childhood and give of your best to the Master. Okay, so He needs disciples. He needs you. Uh, Jesus also needs you, <laughs> sort of like He needed that donkey. He needs you to be the humble vehicle to carry His love and compassion and gospel to the world around us. He needs you in that way. And as Brother Mark Yates used to say, use words if necessary. <laughs> use words if necessary. Because you might be thinking, well, I'm not a preacher. I mean, how can I, pre how can I share the gospel? Because Jesus said, go to everyone and teach and preach the good news of the gospel. And lo, I'm with you always. And you might think, well, how can I do that? I'm not a preacher. Well, listen. The greatest sermon that will ever be preached is not in way of words, but it's in living your life. It's how you live. Because you can say what you want to say, but if you don't live it, people are like, no. Nah. But if you live a life according to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a powerful message. That means that what is inside of you is real, okay? It's real. And so, you can share the gospel. You can share the love of Jesus. Uh, you can share the compassion of Jesus by giving a plate of cookies to your neighbors. Maybe a loaf of fresh bread. Maybe even a basket of peaches. And by the way, years ago, that was done in this community once where a new family moved into this community and someone went to see them and welcomed them to the community. And as a little welcoming gift, they gave them a basket of peaches. Not much, but yet that basket of peaches started spiritual conversations that led to faith in Jesus Christ and actually church membership here. And so you can do the same. You don't have to be an ordained preacher to share the love of Jesus and to be a donkey <laughs> for Jesus. Okay, lastly then, Jesus needs your devotion. He sure does. Jesus needs your devotion. Jesus needs your undivided love and attention. He needs your time. He needs your talents, the things that you're good at. In fact, He even needs your money. We take up offerings often, don't we? <laughs> Some of us think maybe too often, but we take up offerings. Jesus needs that money for the work of the church. You know, remember that when you give your money in the offering, that can be an act of worship. In, in fact, it is an act of worship when you're doing it from your heart. But it's because we're giving up something that's important to us, right? We're sacrificing that. We're giving it up. And so when we put our money in the offering, we must think, 
Lord, I'm giving this for you. Sure, I could use it in a number of ways, but I'm giving that to you because you've called me to do that, and Jesus needs that in order to carry out the work of the church and the kingdom, okay? So Jesus needs our devotion. He needs the best that we have. Give of your best to the master. I'll just leave you with that. The words of this song, give of your best to the master, and it's written specifically for children, for young people. Give of your best to the master. Give of the strength of your youth. Throw your soul's fresh glowing ardor into the battle for truth. Jesus has set the example. Dauntless was he young and brave. Give him your loyal devotion. Give him the best that you have. And one more verse, give of your best to the master, give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service, consecrate every part. Give, and to you shall be given. God, his beloved son, gave. Give him your loyal devotion, give him the best that you have. And then the little chorus, give of your best to the master, give of the strength of your youth. That means give him your best. Clad in salvation's full armor, join in the battle for truth. Well, a lot we can learn about a little story of disciples, donkeys, and devotion, right? Jesus needed those things that day, and in a very similar way, Jesus needs those things from us today. Let's pray. Lord, you've blessed us richly. Uh, you've met our needs again this morning in... Uh, in perhaps unusual ways, and we give you thanks for that, Father. And we know that this lesson uh, was not just for the children, but we can all gain something from it as well. I'm challenged and, and convicted in ways myself this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us to learn rich truths uh, from this event that we study in the Bible, the event where you came humbly through the streets of Jerusalem as our King. Father, help us to learn lessons that can, that can impact our lives, helping us to grow more in your likeness. Help us to be dedicated, consecrated to you, uh, that you can fully use us. And may you be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, the Lord bless you, children, uh, for coming to this children's sermon. And uh, you can go back to your parents. We'll close with a, a song. And maybe we could even stand for that closing song and then just be dismissed following.
eternal.